We're going to read from the Bible, uh, the book of 1 Peter. If you're new to the Christian story, if you're new to church, the Bible is a book that many, many millions of people throughout history have found really helpful, has changed their lives, given them ancient wisdom for life that just seems to make sense for today. And this is the bit we're going to read is from a letter that was written by Peter. You may know of Peter. And it's written to encourage the early Christians who are being oppressed and persecuted for following Jesus. Basically encourage them to keep going, to keep on following Jesus. And we're going to read some very simple words from 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, starting at verse 9 through to verse 12. The words are on the screen. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. As we begin, we're going to see some images on the screen. Uh, And what I want us to do is to decide when we see these images, which of these two words is more likely to come to mind. Do we think of them as being a saint or as a sinner, okay? And I'm gonna ask for a show of hands. So here we go. Mother Teresa, do we more likely think of saint or sinner? If you think saint, put your hand up. If you think sinner, put your hands up. Okay, next one. Uh, Martin Luther King, if you think saint, put your hands up. Okay, if you think sinner, more likely, put your hands up. Okay, next one. Billy Graham, if you don't know who Billy Graham was, he was a kind of famous preacher in the second half of the 20th century, radically impacted global Christianity. So if you think saint, put your hands up. A few less, interesting. If you think sinner, put your hands up. A few more, interesting. Okay, next one. Justin Bieber. Okay, if you don't know who Justin Bieber is, ask somebody a lot younger than you. They'll explain it to you. Justin Bieber, if you think saint, put your hands up. Okay, three, four. Okay, sinner, put your hands up. Okay, a few more. You. Okay, let's go for it. You. If you think saint, put your hands up. Okay, if you think sinner, put your hands up. Interesting, interesting. Today, we're continuing this series we're looking at all about some tensions, apparent tensions, that we find in the Bible where there seem to be things that kind of seem to be a bit confusing. And today we're very simply looking at this. Sinner and saint, can you be both? The Bible talks, as we'll see, and uses these, both of these words, can you be both? And I want to suggest this morning that this question gets to the very, very core of Christianity. It gets to the very core of who we are as people, And if you're here today because you want to support Max or you're just new to the Christian story, this question is such a key question that as we go through, hopefully we'll discover that it is one of the most liberating realities about the Christian faith. If we grasp this, 
This genuinely is the best news ever that will change your life today forever. Because the reality is we all know that humans are capable of the most stunningly beautiful acts and the most horrific acts at the same time. We as a species are capable of the most longing hug and the Holocaust in the same moment. We are a Jekyll and Hyde species. However many technical and scientific advances we make, the same technical and scientific advances seem to simply also cause more pain and harm to each other. We can't shake the deep problems that humanity has, that we have. In the words of the prophets of our day, take that. I have so many, so many flaws. If you take me, they're yours. We are flawed. And this passage we read from the Bible, some ancient wisdom, shows us the quandary, the question that we're looking at this morning. Look again. This letter was written to persecuted followers of Jesus who in the middle of oppression needed to know that they were on the right team. Needed to know that it was worth enduring all of this hardship. And look what Peter calls them. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. They're Holy, says Peter. Clock that word, hold it in your head for a moment. It's an ancient word that simply means set apart, different, other. They're set apart from the people around them. They are other, they are holy. Peter says they're followers of Jesus, they are holy. And yet, two verses later, did you clock it when we were reading it? He also says this. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires. Hmm. He said that they're holy, and then he also says abstain from sin, wrong stuff, bad things. They are holy, but they need to be reminded to be holy. They are something, and so they're called to live as something. Let me give another example from the Bible. These are the words from a different apostle, a guy called Paul, writing to a church in Corinth, modern-day Greece. And this is how he begins his letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. Do you notice that? They are sanctified and they're called to be holy. Different versions of this, different translations put it like this. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. It's the same concept. They are holy. They are sanctified. It's an old word. And they're called to be holy, called to be saints. It's the same word, very simply. They are saints, and they're called to be saints and the new testament simply says if you're a follower of jesus you are a saint and so live as a saint 
You are, so be. And as Max gets baptized a little bit later, he is simply saying, I've decided to follow Jesus and accepted all that he's given to me, this forgiveness, this grace. I know that I'm different now. I am a saint. And because I now want to live for him, I want to live like it. That's what he's saying. Let me give an illustration of this. We all know who this is, Meghan Markle. This time a year ago, she was just Meghan Markle. She happened to be a celebrity, happened to be on telly, happened to be relatively well-known, but she was simply Meghan Markle. Today, she's not just Meghan Markle. She's the Duchess of Sussex, I I think it is. What's changed? Her status has changed. The day she said, I will, and put the ring on her finger and all of that. And now, because her status has changed, she's doing her best to live differently. She can't carry on doing what she was doing as a, just a sort of you know, A-list celebrity or whatever it is. She's changed the status, so live in the light of it. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a saint. Live like it, says the New Testament. And the good news is this that we're not on our own to help us live like this. This is another passage from the New Testament. For by one sacrifice, that's that's Jesus dying on a cross for us, where he took the hit for us, and therefore we get all that he's given to us. By that one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Do you see that? Perfect, saint, being made holy. Because God's spirit is at work in us. Saints, live like it. Let's dig a bit deeper what we mean by the word saint because we need to get a few images out of our mind. Some people of a certain age need to get this image out of their mind right away. Roger Moore has nothing to do with this. But probably more of us have got this sort of image in our minds when we think of the word saint. As though there was a sort of crack team of Christians, sort of uber Christians, you know, a team that were somehow extra special, extra holy. And so therefore we kind of venerate them, lift them up above little old you and me. The Bible simply says, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a saint. This one, Saint Athanasius, happened to do something significant, great, but in God's eyes, he is no different from you and me if we are a follower of Jesus. Why? Because like Meghan Markle, your status has changed. You're declared right with God and then called to live like it. So, would you do me a favor? Look at the person next to you. Go and look at them. If they're a follower of Jesus, they are a saint. Ask them their name and say, hello, Saint whatever their name is. So you are sitting next to, if they're a follower of Jesus, you are sitting next to a saint, and so are they. This is good news, and we'll come to see why in a moment. But can I say, if you're new to the Christian story, or you're here because you want to support Max this morning, or you're just kind of exploring things, This shows us something really, really important, a common misconception about Christians. Christians don't think that they are better than everyone else. 
They don't. We shouldn't. Let me look again at that passage we read earlier. 1 Corinthians 1. To the church of Christ, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. They're made holy, Christians are, because of Jesus, not because of them. Christians are no better, but God has done something on our behalf. Because Meghan Markle's relationship status changed, so too our status, if we accept all that Jesus has done, our status has changed and we're called to live differently. And Christians, therefore, don't think we're better than other people in society. There are many, many people doing some breathtakingly good things in our society. Christians might be doing some too, brilliant, but that's not because we think we're somehow special or better than other people. We simply accept what Jesus has given to us and done for us, making us in our sin right with him. And in fact, I want to suggest that if Christians do think we're better, then we actually haven't really understood it. Because I want to suggest that often Christians should think we're far worse than anybody else. Because the New Testament points to the fact that we are both saint and sinner. The same Paul who wrote these words said this about himself. Here's the trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Not I was the worst. It used to be like this. But now, look at me, I'm great. No, I am the worst sinner. This is stunning. Here we have one of the great heroes of the Bible saying, I am the worst sinner. In case we think he was particularly bad, (laughs) listen to what he says after this. I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. He says, I'm simply an example. And as I lead other people, they look at me and realize, actually, we're all sinners. We all need saving. And thank you, Jesus, you've made a way. This is a total game changer. All ancient literature where they had heroes never, ever put this kind of stuff. The heroes were kind of above us, that we, these uber people that we needed to try and be like. Here is Paul saying, I am the worst person. The worst sinner. This is so revolutionary. Even today, how difficult it is for our leaders and politicians to apologize. Giving the impression that they've somehow got it all together. Here is Paul simply saying, I'm the worst of all sinners. This is so refreshing. And when we grasp this, that we are therefore both saint and sinner... It leads to two responses. Firstly, we cannot have this kind of response. If we're followers of Jesus, we cannot be saying, we are better than you. You stop this, you do that, because I've got it all together. That sign, God hates proud sinners, comes from the lips of someone who's quite proud about how they're doing. 
If we recognize and say with Paul, I am the worst of all sinners, we look at our friends and our community with tears in our eyes about our own brokenness as well as the brokenness we see around us. How much damage is caused by Christians giving the impression that we're somehow superior? So no place for this. But there's also no place for this kind of treatment of the sin. You know, the sort of slimming world where it's a little bit naughty but nice. Playful. You know, that sin, naughty me. Because we all know that there really is a problem with us. In a moment, Max is going to get baptized. And when he goes into the water, it's a picture of dying, you know, into the grave. And coming back up, a picture of coming up out of the grave, new life, being washed clean. Why? Because of recognizing we are flawed, we are sinners, we need to be cleansed. That's what Jesus makes possible. And we all know that there is stuff that is not right with us. We all know that sin, what the Bible calls sin, is not playful, naughty, but nice. How do we know that? When somebody sins against us, it is not naughty, but nice. It rips at us. We don't treat it as being... It rips our heart and our core. Deep hurt. Sin is real, says the Bible. Terry Eagleton's a Marxist professor at North in, 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 in Lancaster. Not a Christian. But he writes very positively. As an atheist saying the greatest gift that Christianity has given the world is the doctrine of original sin. Because with all of our advances, how else do we explain why we keep on screwing things up? So, we're saint or sinner. And so therefore, we could have all put our hands up and said saint and sinner. When we went through that list, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, Justin Bieber, all of those people say they are followers of Jesus. And so therefore, are they saints or sinners? Yes. They're both saint and sinner. And holding these two things in tension changes absolutely everything in our lives. And most problems come because we forget one half of that tension. We either think we're a saint and so therefore look down on others, or we just dwell in our sin forgetting all that God has given for us. And it changes in two different ways. It changes how we see ourselves and how we see other people. And if you like, you can characterize our response with these two words. Humility and confidence. Followers of Jesus should be characterized by determined self-improvement and humble self-deprecation. There's no place for thinking too highly of ourselves or for thinking too low of ourselves. Let me explain. Firstly, how we see ourselves. There's no room if we get this to be self-loathing. We live in a society with social media with such pressure that there is so much pressure to be perfection. Live the right life, look the right way, have the right job, have the right partner, have the right things doing, go on the right holiday, all is sweet. And so it lends to this spiral of self-loathing. 
because we look down on ourselves compared to this mystical, mythical ideal of what we think we should be. If we grasp that we're saint and sinner, there is no place for just looking down on ourselves with a self-loathing. My wife Claire and I were recently um, at the Mac over in Cannon Hill Park. And we were sat outside, you know, there's that kind of coffee area sat out there. And we were some friends. And as we were there, there were these two uh, women in their kind of, I guess, late teens, early 20s. Well done up, really kind of make up to the nines, whatever the right saying is. And they came out and they spent literally five minutes sat there with their phones, sort of pouting and getting the right angle, sort of, you know, nudging themselves a little bit, so they had the right angle for the right selfie so they could put it on their social media. And as we were watching this, we all felt an overwhelming sadness. Because of our British Reserve, we didn't, but I kind of wanted to go up to them and say, friends, you have a father who loves you through that makeup, who looks at you and sees beauty, who looks at you with all of that surgery, all of that stuff, and sees beyond that and sees the real you, not the you that's trying to pretend something, and loves with an everlasting, overflowing love. This is good news. And as we were preparing this, I had a sense that for some of us, we just simply need to hear these words. You're doing fine you're doing fine, you really are. There's no room for self-loathing. Because of Jesus, God calls us saints. Others of us though, honestly, yeah, we're not, they don't find that too difficult. Of course I'm a saint, of course I'm pretty special, aren't I? We don't self-loathe, we (laughs) self-worship. And this idea that we're both saints and sinners means there's no place for self-loathing, but there's also no place for self-worship. Paul says, the chief of all sinners of whom I am the worst. And therefore, we can't think of ourselves more highly than others, can we? Because we're not. We're flawed. So it changes how we view ourselves, but it also changes radically how we see other people. In society, in our workplace, in our streets, in our families, in our relationships. Simply because we can expect failure. I was thinking about this, how this applied to marriage. The British philosopher Alain de Botton very controversially says, you will marry the wrong person. Because this idea of who they are, that is not them. If you're anything of my generation, we grew up with the Jerry Maguire, you complete me. If we just find the right person, the right partner, all will be sweet because we'll have this kind of amazing journey where everything will be hunky-dory and beautiful. And yet if we realize we're all saint and sinner, we realize they are as broken and as flawed as we are. Let me give this example, but it applies to all human relationships, not just the most intimate ones. This is a great cartoon from a French cartoonist about marriage. I think it's immensely powerful and something we need to remember today. Here is, in this case, a woman drawing this picture of this man she wants. 
this ideal caricature of the man of her dreams. And look, she gets the roses and gives them a kiss. Yeah, this fantasy world that we create. And then very slowly, the man appears and begins to unravel the caricature in her mind. And as he does so, it all comes tumbling to the ground, and even her affection with those roses comes tumbling down. And so at the end, you have the real person, not the caricature. That is marriage. That is also all human relationships. If we grasp that we're both saint in Jesus and sinner, we will expect flaws. We will expect weakness. We will expect failure. And I want to say that I know that in this room, there are people who have navigated the real pain of having to experience this in ways that have been deeply wounding. And it's so painful when this all goes wrong, isn't it? And, and of the stories I know, we want to say it's a real picture of God's grace when you navigate it so well with such grace. My wife Claire and I have this little joke, it's a private joke, it's not that private now, clearly. Um, <laughs> that when Claire and I got together, I was her biggest disappointment. Why? Because she held church leaders up here. They were uber saints, they were the crack team. And then she got to know me. Friends, the more we get to know each other, whether it is in those intimate relationships or just friendships or just family groups, if we realize we're saint and sinner, there's room for freedom and grace. In church, we will let each other down. With our friends, we will let each other down. In our families, in our workplaces, we will let each other down. And it means we can't self-loathe or self-worship and we simply walk as friends and brothers and sisters trying to walk together. Why? Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. May we encourage each other on that journey. So I'm going to pray now. Someone's going to go and get the children so that we begin to transition towards doing the baptism. And simply as we baptize Max, he is simply saying, old has gone, new has come. Because of Jesus, I'm clean and forgiven and now I want to live for him called to be holy. So I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song together and then I'll explain how we're going to navigate. Let's pray. Let's be still for a moment. And in this stillness, I would guess that there are some of us that we know we have kind of erred on one side of this too much, either in the way we see ourselves or the way we see other people. And this morning, God, with his just amazing grace and gentleness, has lifted our eyes to see the liberating good news of Jesus. I'm going to simply ask us to do something. It may be helpful if you, if you close your eyes and just kind of hold your hands in kind of like a fist as though you're holding on to stuff. What I'm simply going to do is to pray and then I'm going to ask us to simply open the hands as a way of kind of saying, God, I, I let all this go. Please speak into my life. Please change my life. Please show me. So you may like to do that now. Let's hold our fist, holding it all.
Father God, we thank you. We thank you so much that Jesus came and died in our place for all of the mess, all of the brokenness. And Lord, we know therefore because of Jesus, you look at us and think of us as pure, holy. Wow. So Lord, may we live like that. And may we have the right measure of how we see ourselves and other people. And so now, Lord, as we open our hands, Lord, forgive us, change us, free us, we pray. Let's open our hands. Help us to see the truth that you call us saint and that you're changing us as as sinners. Thank you, God. Have mercy, we pray. Amen. We're going to sing together this song just by way of response. And you may like to use these words. It's just simply a way of uh, giving yourself to God, speaking to him. Let's stand together. Let's sing.